Welcome to Two Gals in a Glass Half Full. We are Dr. Jess and Dr. Bobby, two physical therapists just trying to live healthy most of the time and doing our best to see our personal glasses as half full. Some days this is much harder than others. On this podcast, sometimes we interview others more knowledgeable than us on different topics to teach us about things we do not know, and other times you are stuck with Dr. Jess and I sharing our information and knowledge. So make sure you hit subscribe button below, follow us on Instagram, and join our free Facebook group to stay up to date on all the two gals happenings. I am so excited about our special guest today um, and the topic that we are going to talk about. But first, let's start. Dr. Jess, what is in your glass? So today I am getting my caffeine in. (laughs) So I did have half a cup of coffee this morning. I've had my smoothie. I had a cup of water. And so now I'm going to have one more cup of coffee. It's uh, a low acid type of coffee. So that way it doesn't like mess with me too much with a little half and half. Yeah. So Dr. Bobby, what's in your glass? I am on just plain water, H2O. I love it. And so today we have a uh, doctor with us. Her name is Dr. Kristen Halland. And so before she does her introduction about who she is, Dr. Halland, what's in your glass? Good morning, everyone. This is a nice, clean electrolyte powder. I love it. Super important. It's warm here in Florida. And so staying on top of that electrolyte balance is like a constant struggle so that we don't get dehydrated. So it's not just about water, but having that balance of electrolytes is hugely important. Um, So Dr. Helen, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. And thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. I am a functional medicine physician, and I'm based out of Chicago. It's definitely winter here, so we don't have as much of a struggle as you do. Um, And I also will explain what functional medicine means a little bit in case people aren't used to that term yet, but I'm a functional medicine physician, and I practice with a integrative group based out of Chicago and the suburbs. And so um, in the integrative group, you know, I'm working with a lot of different healthcare providers on a huge spectrum, ranging from conservative prescribers all the way up through alternative medicine, you know, energy work, traditional Chinese medicine. And I see myself as somewhat in the middle. I like that. And so functional medicine, I mean, I love it, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I love it too. I'm glad to have a chance to speak about it. Functional medicine is a practice style in healthcare. And what it means to me is that it focuses on natural opportunities. So we're not anti anything at all, actually, but what we want to do is utilize as many natural tools as possible. And so a lot of the tools that I'm going to use to help people reach their goals or correct their Healthcare imbalances are things like diet or professional grade nutritional supplementation or lifestyle modifications. And it's also something that's very objective. We like a lot of lab data and we believe in personalized chemistry. So there's no one size fits all. And probably in your practice also, you notice certain themes in different patient groups, but you could have 10 people with the same diagnosis and you're never going to write the same same treatment plans. So uh, it's very, very personalized and personalized medicine is always best. 
And it's also something that is very uh, logical, very well thought out. We always have short-term and long-term goals for our plan, for our patients' plans. So, you know, it's okay to help someone feel a little bit better and use Band-Aids and healthcare. That's fine. I do that too. Sometimes people need to feel better to do what, you know, we really need to do for the long-term work. But what we're hoping to do is that root cause, that long-term work. And maybe even one day uh, the patient will become a wellness patient, get themselves to a really, really good place, and then think more from a preventative mindset. So I can't speak for everyone, but for me, that is what functional medicine means. I love that. The two things in PT, we say sometimes, um, a lot of times you'll hear someone that's trying to lose weight or someone that has knee pain and they might be slightly overweight or, you know, uh, more overweight. You you just need to walk. Well, if they have pain in their knee, they're not going to walk. So that we kind of do the similar thing with physical therapy. We got to decrease their pain first. And if we can decrease their pain, they're probably going to be much more likely to go on that walk and to, you know, go do the things they need to do. Um, Exactly. Short-term and long-term goals. Yes. I think that's really important. Yeah. We're also very much whole body practitioners. So everything is actually way more interconnected than we often suspect that it is. So the the first time we meet a patient, typically we're going to ask them about all of the systems of the body, not just their primary complaint. Mm -hmm. I think, which is super important because if we don't have a good understanding of like, and you know, the whole baseline of what's going on, then how can you actually truly effectively treat something that is currently dysfunctional? Because there, it all interrelates. There's no one system that completely independent is functions independently of another. Uh, That's how our human bodies are able to be complex and move and function and do everything that they need to do. Yeah, so I think the more that we see the connection amongst everything, the better results we're going to get. And then the less, quote unquote, medicine that that we need, and it creates less dependency. And so it creates more independence, which I love. But as I say, Dr. Jess and I also love preventative. Um, We can't, you know, in the physical therapy world, you can't prevent every injury. Um, there's going to be accidents, trauma, things like that, but there's so much that we could, you know, could be helped and prevented and stuff. So we love the preventative model of mm-hmm. healthcare as well. Yeah. And how we get there is knowledge. So knowledge is so much uh, a part of getting ahead of things of knowing what to do to get ahead of it. And so that's kind of the point of this episode today is talking about getting ahead of things as much as possible by using nutrition as a way to be proactive with our thinking. So instead of waiting until we have diabetes or waiting until we have some sort of like major GI distress, what if we thought in advance of like, what if I could just get my body to function better based on the fuel that I put into it based on my own physiology and how I do as 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 a human, and you know everybody's going to be a little bit different with how they process. Uh, but the thought is, let's just provoke this conversation and provoke thought, and then talk to somebody that knows more than we do. <laughs> Hence, you're here, <laughs> and then hopefully 
other people can start spreading the knowledge of how important nutrition really is. And that doesn't mean a diet. That doesn't mean losing weight. That doesn't mean that kind of, we're talking about nutrition to help your body function. And so that's kind of a little bit of a different way of thinking about food that sometimes I think our society misses. So, all right. So now uh, talking about like big picture, and then we'll get a little bit more specific, but we hear about eating healthy. <laughs> and so that's like, this, it feels nebulous, right? And so it's like, ha, where do I even start? But first, I think we gotta, we've got to think about, is this really effective? Does, it, does eating healthy actually affect our health? Well, I'm going to argue that it's incredibly imperative, of course, to our uh-huh. health. Yeah. You know, Dr. Jess, I couldn't agree more. I loved the way you're, you were using the word function. Because being healthy doesn't mean minimally acceptable and absence of symptoms. It means that you function well. So, you know, there's a lot of different things in our, you know, main culture here that if we think about it just a little bit differently, we would realize are very, very nutritionally based. Diabetes is a great example. Diabetes type two used to be called adult onset diabetes is nearly almost always a nutritional disease caused by food and the solution can also be food if appropriate for that patient. Another really good example is osteoporosis or osteopenia. That's a progressive metabolic disease related to nutrition and nutrient status. But even if you're not talking about different diseases that can be associated with uh, nutrient or dietary depletions, just think about the average American. They're probably eating three times a day and maybe also some snacks. That could be 100 times per month that you could give your body a message about how to behave and what to do and how to function. So I think it's actually very powerful. Yeah, yeah. I love that answer because I think overall, we really can see food in a lot of different lenses. And so if we take a step back and and we don't necessarily see food as like, oh, I do this because I enjoy it. But if we take that step back and we look at food in a different way of like, what can actually this do for me? then it completely changes how you look at what you're eating. And so you can still enjoy it. At the same time, you can ask more of it and say, I actually want to get something from this energy and money that I'm spending. And I want to have better function in my life. So you can get both. You really can. Um, It can be a tool. Strategic. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And so starting with small change, because we're all about... You don't need to throw everything out the window and overwhelm yourself, but starting with some small changes, where do you typically with patients, where do you start with like just some easy, easy ways to kind of get started with that thinking and navigating such a big topic? Yeah. Well, you know, every case in the clinic is so unique, but in my personal opinion, we do have to ease into the conversation with a patient. It can be a very, very powerful tool, but the first time that I meet a patient, I don't really know anything about them yet. I don't know about their history of disordered eating. I don't know what is going on in their home or their lifestyle that could be challenging for them. So I'm not quick to just throw out a bunch of, you know, therapeutic elimination diets or, 
you know, it, it seems like everyone is so ready for the next big thing that's going to magically cure all their problems. <laughs> so I also tend to meet a lot of patients that have already done a lot. And so, you know, with my background and having a board certification in nutrition, I'm not interested in subscribing to any one magical answer or any one certain diet or lifestyle. I believe in that personal medicine. So the first thing I'll start doing is inquiring. And I might hear some tips, you know, and things that stick out in my mind. And as part of their treatment plan, I might write a few focal areas. One place that I love to start is glucose management, which I can expand on a little bit, but I tend to go to that as a very foundational strategy that most people need help with. And also when I work in the clinics, you know, I'm often supported by nutritionists or dietitians or even health coaches that are all functionally minded. And so that is an extra support person for the patient. So if I intend to use diet as a tool and the patient's very receptive and excited about that, and I even have patients who are, you know, begging me for more dietary strategies, it's also my responsibility to equip them appropriately to make that successful. I was going to say, I like that. Um, and I also like, uh, sometimes the the inner like interviewing or asking questions. I think that's so important in healthcare because um, a lot of times, at least I'll see, I'll come in to do a evaluation on a patient and I'll sit there and I'll talk to them for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, like really trying 20 minutes. So depending on what they need. Um, but like, it really gives me the most amount of information to then start diving in. Whereas they're like, aren't you going to test me? Aren't you going to, I was like, I'll get there. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to get there, but like, first let's talk. And I think sometimes that is um, patients don't see the importance of like just asking all the questions and really um, telling all the details. Sometimes, you know, you'll ask, for example, do you have any bowel or bladder issues? And they'll be like, Oh no, I'm fine. And then four treatments down the road, you find out there are issues that kind of like, lead to other things. So I feel like that interview is so important to really get an idea of like what's going on in that individual personally. Yeah. It's actually step one of what we were taught all of us back in school is to take a good health history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you're going through this history with um, your patient uh, and you're thinking like, as you're talking to them, is, is how are you thinking food as medicine? Like one of the first thoughts that are kind of coming into mind or is there like a lot of other stuff too like how much does food kind of jump into the forefront I think for me it totally depends on the patient because in functional medicine I'm sure much like you there are a lot of tools at our disposal and that also includes other referrals too you know I might meet someone in functional medicine and a dietary application might not be the best answer for them. So I have all of my tools plus everybody else in the healthcare field. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is a big focal point of what I am good at, what I do, but it's not always the right decision on day one for everyone. And I think also when I think about a case, you know, you have to kind of build from the ground up. And I feel like, you know, in physical therapy, you probably relate to this you can't get distracted by the shiny, interesting, wild thing that um, everybody's excited about. You have to consider building a strong base. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so in functional medicine and in dietary work, a lot of that is the simple stuff, you know, like how many patients have you met who talk about how fantastic their energy and sleep is no changes needed. They're super satisfied with energy <laughs> and sleep. It's like zero, right? Right. So, you know, we might start with something like that. And if a patient needs to build up their energy, I'm going to start looking about the logistics of how they eat. That's what blood sugar management is. When people hear blood sugar management, they think, okay, well, if I don't want to have diabetes, I should manage my blood sugar well. So that means I just cannot, I just can't eat junk. No sodas, no cookies, no pop, none of it. But blood sugar management is actually a lot about the logistics of how we do things. And it's about all of those little decisions. Do you eat breakfast in the morning or do you skip it? Do you have coffee on an empty stomach or do you have it with a meal? How many times per day do you eat or snack? Is it every three or four hours or are you doing one meal a day? What about before bed? You know, in American culture, a lot of people like to have a snack before bed. What's going on there? How do, how do all of these things affect your energy and sleep? So I often think about starting from the ground up. So on day one, if I'm discussing a lot of different facets of care with a patient, not just dietary, I might give them one small homework assignment. I might say, um, you know, I think balancing your blood sugar would really help support your energy. I'd like you to try to have every meal and snack with a protein. And then I'll give a few examples of what proteins are. And then they might say, oh, well, well, you know, actually, I just realized as we're talking about this, I actually don't think I eat a lot of proteins. And then we'll pull up some things on the computer and things that they can look at or buy at the store. And so that's an example of something really small that might come in on day one. Yeah, I like that. I've noticed a huge difference in my energy and sleep. Uh, same thing with adding a lot of protein. And it it makes a huge difference for me individually at every single meal I have. And I am I eat more pescatarian, so I, I, I don't eat a lot of other meat products, but I do eat some seafood. And so trying to find protein has been something that has been a struggle over the years Mm -hmm. and proteins that work well for me and proteins that are healthy and, uh, and that will stay with me so that I don't get those big crashes. Uh, it's been uh, a journey we'll say, and it's a constant growth and I'm constantly reading and trying to learn, but it, you're, what you're saying with protein is huge, absolutely huge. Um, I don't know, Dr. Bobby, if you feel the same. I was never a big protein eater, um, in all honesty, Um, but right now, um, I know most people know, but I'm pregnant and I have found that if I don't have protein, like I get sick and I'm so hungry and I can barely make it through my day. So I've had to really increase the amount of protein that I eat. Um, and I didn't honestly notice it until I experienced this. So, um, especially that first little bit now I feel now I'm good, Um, But I do notice if I don't have a good source of protein in each meal, I like get hungry very quickly and nothing. And then I'm just like, feel like I'm eating all day and I don't feel good about that either. (laughs) But you know what, Dr. Bobby, I'm so glad you mentioned that and congratulations to you. Thank you. But doesn't it make intuitive sense to you that 
at different phases of your life, you're going to have different nutritional needs and different nutritional strategies, you know? So it doesn't make sense to me when a postmenopausal female comes in and perhaps the goal is weight loss. Then, then they say, you know, I've, I've been eating the same exact diet. I do the same exercises. I've not changed my life since I was 18 years old. (laughs) And then they're like, but why isn't this working? Well, to me, it feels really intuitive that you are not the same person. Literally, your hormones are changed. Your your life is completely different. And as the decades go by, your nutritional needs change as well. So it's a really good thing to update. And I love that you felt really intuitive with that and you realized it about your body and now you just went with it. Yeah, it definitely, it made a big difference. And I noticed that um, first trimester, I was very, very sick. And so um, that was all about carbs, salty carbs. But as I got into second, like that's when I realized like I didn't feel sick anymore, but I just like felt hungry. And I noticed if it was just by accident, but noticed like if I added more protein, especially in the morning and like with lunch, um, I just felt better. Um, and I wasn't like hungry and I could make it to like the last, the next meal without like being starving. And I just, I felt a lot better. So it was definitely an accidental fine. Um, but I had a little, I had a little PTSD after being so sick that like, I was like, Oh, this helps. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. But you know what though? Protein actually does help nausea and sickness. I feel like a lot of people go for the carbs, but protein Mm -hmm. is actually helpful for that too. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. I think when, like, when we think about these big changes, uh, menopause, um, you know, pregnancy, things like that, that you feel the changes a lot more because it's a bigger flux. I can tell you too, though, I notice I've got, you know, patients that are post-surgical and their body is trying to heal an incision, um, all of the, all of the edema that's associated with that. It could be a training time of the year. It could even be heat associated time of year. There's how your body functions actually really is going to depend on what currently you're dealing with. And so I think just being able to pivot and have a little bit more intuitive sense of like, I feel like this isn't quite enough for me. And, and being able to understand how much nutrition plays into even just like post-surgical healing can be hugely beneficial. Uh, I, I think, I mean, um, Dr. Helen, I think you might, uh, see this in some of your patients as well with like, it's not necessarily big, big changes. It can be smaller changes as well. Um, Yeah. We have a lot of post-surgical patients as well. I completely agree. Hydration needs go up, need for protein and amino acids, nutrient status in general. Mm -hmm. You could even go more micro than that though. Mm -hmm. What about people that are menstruating? Mm -hmm. Yep. Hormones fluctuate every single month. Iron might be changing. Um, Some people will notice symptoms like they might have an increased desire for carbs and sweets because the hunger patterns change. So this could be as micro as on a week by week basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the more, and not to be overwhelming about nutrition, but I do think that having the awareness of cycles in life, having the awareness of what your body's 
current needs are. And sometimes those needs are going to be higher for healing a wound or, uh, you know, like all of a sudden the weather's really warm and you're sweating more. Uh, maybe you're training for something. And so your exercise level goes up. Uh, maybe your job changed and you're now working a job where you're lifting a bunch of stuff during the day and you're not sitting behind a desk. All of these are ways that you can use nutrition to support what you're trying to get out of your body on a day-to-day basis. And instead of it fighting you, uh, and that fight, I think is uh, what we typically do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm in, when I'm in the clinic with a patient, you know, sometimes it can get really overwhelming to think of all the things that someone could be doing or all of the tools that they could utilize. And sometimes the patients feel that too, because they say things like, well, I just don't know where to start. Or they say something like, I've tried everything, but I just cannot find the right thing for me. And so whenever I feel that way in a case, when I feel kind of, you know, overwhelmed or there's so much to do that I don't know where to begin, I've realized, um, because I've done this for well over a decade and I've realized that the answer is you begin at the beginning. You build a strong foundation. And to me, foundation means things like, you know, optimizing your energy with blood sugar management. It means hydration, getting great sleep and all of those things that, again, I know they're not exciting and shiny, but they're very, very impactful. And if you build a strong foundation to start, you will never go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And then from that foundation, I think you'll realize how you can feel. And then once you start implementing strategies of like blood sugar management, for example, you will sense when something isn't what it could be. And then it's like, oh, well, typically I I can actually go this far in between meals or I sleep better or whatever it might be. And so one thing that I'll use is journaling. Not like necessarily like, tell me all of your, you know, feelings about life. Um, That's helpful for some people, but more like, I think it helps to see the pattern because it's like right there in front of you. So today, what did I eat? How did I feel? And how you felt might not correlate right with what you ate. So if you look at how you felt in the evening, what did you eat in the morning? And so you can kind of see what's going on and you'll start to make the realization. So sometimes we'll start to do that together. Like, hey, bring that in. That's accountability. Um, (laughs) So then you start teaching that tool of giving them the strategy of this is how you can figure it out for yourself in the future. So once we start seeing those cross connections and patterns, and then we start saying, okay, now what were the variables? Here's what you did. Here's how you felt. What were the variables that were going on? And then all of the lines start connecting. And then that growth and knowledge starts like really going in the right direction. Uh, do you like to use journaling or like what are other strategies you you use to, for the patients to really kind of grow with it? Yeah, well, I do agree with you that empowering people for the long term, that comes from knowledge that comes from equipping them with skills. And sometimes you have to build on that. That doesn't come day one. So if I'm working on a case typically supported by a functionally minded nutritionist or dietitian, 
they will typically do the accountability and the journaling with the patient. Mm -hmm. And our journaling is not just food. You can also track bowel movements. You can track moods and energy levels, or you might have a patient, let's say, for example, their primary complaint is migraines. So we'll have them use, you know, a migraine focused app for their tracking. And so I do like to do a lot of that, but I still want to think about it in a holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. So, you know, accountability with dietary change, I think can be pretty important. And when I am working on a case with uh, multiple different systems involved or different facets or referrals or blood work or what have you, sometimes I won't be the one that will actually be doing that, but I'm a big fan. Mm -hmm. So I've heard you say a few times and growing up, you always hear breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Um, how true is that, um, from a physician, especially a functional med physician, like how much truth is there in that? And like, what is some good ways that we can start our day strong? Yeah. Don't you hate it when old wives tales and things that moms say actually turn out to be right sometimes? (laughs) Well, again, I mean, personalized medicine is everything. Mm -hmm. So when I assess someone's blood sugar management, I'm going to look at their fasting glucose, their hemoglobin A1C, and their insulin marker. And from there, I can kind of help them see, does what you're currently doing, is that working out for you really well or not? Or how can we change that to become more strategic and optimize these lab markers? Um, As a general statement, I think there are some conditions that benefit greatly from strategies like intermittent fasting. But in my population that I most commonly work with, which is women in their 40s, 50s, you know, lots of hormone changes in that period of life, uh, lots of adrenal dysfunction, which is where our stress hormones are made that builds up over time. I find in, in that population, in those scenarios, I have seen a routine meals and snacks plan work out better and having breakfast 30 to 60 minutes after you wake up is so good for your adrenals and stress management hormones. And people report that they just feel better when they start their day with a high protein breakfast. And of course there's stipulations to this. Okay. Your protein should be really, you know, your high protein breakfast, you know, it's, you're going to feel differently if you eat donuts in the morning with coffee versus, you know, a nice clean protein. Yeah. I, I notice a big difference for me, for sure. When I don't eat within 30 to 60 minutes, it's like, I almost feel like I'm more irritable, uh, you know, just like, just like the little things that wouldn't normally bother you, like bother you. And it's, I mean, and it's just so, even if you have like a, like a bowl of cereal that isn't like, it just, it doesn't cut it. Uh, it really like, if you just stick to it, it really does help. Like it, it's super helpful. Start your day off, right? Your whole system feels like it's like more awake. You don't have that grogginess. Uh, it's, it, it, I mean, eating is so helpful. (laughs) It's really good. Just fueling your body. Yeah. Yeah. You can believe how many people I work with, um, particularly women, since that's my main population, but people that are under 
fueling themselves. And sometimes it's because they're too busy or they don't have the organization and strategies ready. Or sometimes it's even because of, you know, archaic um, nutrition advice from the internet telling people that, you know, if you eat the absolute minimum calories, you're going to magically somehow lose weight. So they start dramatically under fueling themselves and that doesn't feel good to the adrenals and the body that makes it feel very threatened. So, you know, when people say, oh, I typically skip breakfast, I have maybe my cup of coffee. And then when it comes time for lunch, maybe around 11 or 12, when I'm at work, I just get like so hangry. I feel so sick if I run late and I can't get to lunch on time. That's blood sugar dysregulation. That means that you should have had, you know, eaten earlier than that. So all you can do is kind of try it and see how your body responds. Mm-hmm. I think eating sometimes as well can be one of those things kind of like drinking, where if you wait until you're really hungry, it's almost a little bit too late and you're a little bit behind the eight ball. Uh, and it, I think from there, then there's that tendency to maybe overeat or choose something that's not the best thing to choose because it's quick and fast. And it, so then that's like the one, like one thing kind of leads onto the next, onto the next, where if you kind of have a plan set in place that you're like, okay, I'm going to try the strategy and stick to it and make it easier for yourself. Uh, so like a strategy that, that we use is I have my smoothie pre-made And so that way in the morning, it's really fast and I don't have a lot of time. I do have two small kids. And so I actually drink my smoothie on the way to drop off. And so that way I know that I'm going to be, and it's, I've got like multiple types of protein in my smoothie. And so that way I know I'm going to, I have to sit in the car. (laughs) So like if I can drink it while I sit in the car, because I'm doing drop off, then it's, again, it's just efficiencies kind of built in. Uh, But it's just like drinking. You can't wait until you're thirsty to drink. You've got to drink prior to being thirsty. Same thing with being hungry. I'm not starving in the morning when I wake up. However, if I wait till I'm starving, all bets are off. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I'll work with patients that they don't feel hungry in the morning and asking them to try to put in a protein breakfast is really challenging. So in that example, I'm going to reveal a secret here to the listeners. (laughs) So what I'll have them do is to put some collagen in their coffee, which is a protein and it's a popular strategy that people are doing already. Or I might ask them to eat just a nibble of protein. It doesn't even have to be a meal. It doesn't have to be a whole, you know, smoothie scenario. If you tolerate eggs, you could eat one hard boiled egg. That's a lot more protein than zero, which you previously had, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's not about the size of the meal. It does not have to be complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. Uh, Decreasing complexity sometimes is going to be a better place to start because it's easier to implement and you can cook those in advance and have them ready to go. So it's nice and fast. You could even pre-buy them cooked and peeled in a package if you didn't even want to do that. Exactly. Uh, All sorts of fun ways to make it simple. Um, Yeah, I think I'm kind of shockingly logical at times too, but I think it's because, you know, I'm also a mom of a younger kiddo and, you know, I'm also working and we're trying to manage a lot. So Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think it gives you perspective when when it's like you have to implement it yourself amidst the barriers that are there. So they're not barriers that will stop you. It's just like, okay, it's not as easy. I'm not going to have this long stretch of time. So when you yourself have to think like that, it helps, I think, with giving advice of like, hey, I get it. Like, I know this is tough. And what I'm asking is going to be not the simplest thing, but we can have strategies that make things simple. And uh, Dr. Bobby and I did an episode earlier this month about meal planning. And if you have the organization and want to meal plan, then you can really set yourself up for success for the week because everything is kind of done ahead of time, or you at least start stuff ahead of time, which will make it easier to implement as the week goes on. And then accountability, you're kind of helping to hold yourself accountable. So, and then if it works, great. If something doesn't work, try a different strategy. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Awesome. So if somebody uh, like just starting out, like they're like, okay, what if I want to start a couple of things just quickly on my own? Maybe I'm not ready to talk to a functional medicine doctor. Maybe you are and you should look in your area uh, because they're great. Uh, But let's just say I just want to start a couple of things to get myself pointed in the right direction. So we've talked about, you know, uh, you know, the glucose management, eating breakfast. Um, is there anything else that you would say, like, here's like a little tip or trick that is easy to get started with thinking about nutrition? Well, I would say that my tip is going to have to be, don't forget about beverages, not just foods. Mm-hmm. So, you know, good hydration is so important for our body's waste disposal system, the lymphatic system, for our muscles, for preventing headaches and keeping our minds clear. So we want to have good hydration. And I think one of the best uh, small daily micro indicators of hydration is the color of your urine. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to have urine mostly throughout the day that is light, pale, yellow. You don't want to overhydrate so much that you're clear all the time. And you also don't want to have medium or darker urine. So that's a pretty easy place to start. And some beverages are dehydrating. So you might want to consider reducing those, increasing water. And I think you're going to notice your brain gets a lot more clear. Your energy goes up. The smallest things can really help. My second tip would be making sure that you're including more protein with meals and snacks and considering the timing and logistics of how you're eating in case you do need to eat more frequently or in more of a planned and strategic way. And then my third thing I would say is anti-inflammatory power. Most chronic diseases that we're aware of have their roots in inflammation. And in addition to that, from a, you know, the chemistry perspective, inflammation doesn't feel good. It makes our tissues and our muscles feel really yucky. It clogs up our brain. You know, most mental health conditions have roots in neuroinflammation too. So if you could do anything with your diet as a general statement that I think is going to apply to most people, it's to find opportunities for anti-inflammatory power, more good guys to fight bad guys in the body. And what does that look like? Well, I like to use the joke of eating, eating the rainbow. And I'm not talking Skittles rainbow. (laughs) 
I'm talking vegetable rainbow. <laughs> so, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you see the produce area with fruits and vegetables and how beautiful these colors look, those colors are called antioxidants, which fight inflammation. So you want to have about 75% vegetable, 25% fruit, every color of the rainbow represented every day. So if you are working on the color red, you know, an example uh, could be, you know, cherries, red. Um, and then you go all the way through, but you also have to include white and brown as colors of the rainbow as well, so that you don't miss out on mushrooms and onion and cauliflower. Those are colors too. And I would say if I could challenge you to do anything, it would be to see if you could get one serving of every single color of the rainbow every day. I love that. I love that. I think that, that should absolutely. be our challenge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's I think that's the, one of the number one things I, when patients ask me like, what do I even think about when I want to change my diet? And I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't give specific information. I do refer on for that. But I always say one thing you can read about is anti-inflammatory diet. And lots of stuff is produced about that. There's a lot of, of literature out there. And so always, <laughs> it's like, why not look into that? Uh, it's not going to, you know, make that tendonitis go away. It is going to be something that's going to help your body though, to decrease the amount of inflammation and everything else that you've got going on. Uh, so yeah, colorful plate, colorful day. There's like, you're not going to you're not going to go wrong with that um, unless you have some sort of sensitivity, you know, things like that, obviously, um, you know, be mindful of that. But yeah. yeah, a good example is like cruciferous vegetables and broccoli. There are some groups of people whose stomachs can't tolerate that very well. So that might be a little bit harder, but mm -hmm. lucky for them, there's so many opportunities that are green produce. So I'm sure there's something we could find that could substitute that. But yeah. um you know, speaking of foods as power, you know, broccoli, for example, really great at helping our body detoxify estrogen. There we go. That's kind of fun when you start learning about what exactly mm -hmm. could that food be doing for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like food, I mean, the it's like, this is just, I mean, the tiniest tip of the iceberg when it comes to food and how much knowledge you really can gain and how really working with somebody that is highly trained in food as medicine can be great for um, you as an individual, but then also, you know, maybe other people that you know that you like, you're like, hey, maybe help point them in the right direction. Sharing knowledge is how we're all going to grow together to continue to learn and grow as a society and as a community. So definitely if you are listening to this and, and you want to learn more about Dr. Helen, we're going to have her information in the episode description below. And if you just want to look up functional medicine in your area, then you can just do a Google search on that. Uh, I'm in Jacksonville, so I'm not in the same areas as Dr. Helen, but there, I do know uh, we have a number of good uh, providers down here. And there, I mean, there's providers all over the place. And I think it's a much, uh, the field is growing and I think it's becoming um more aware that of how beneficial it can be. Um, so Dr. Helen, thank you so much for coming on. Our challenge uh, for this episode is definitely, uh, I, I love the challenge of the rainbow. So uh, it's something I'm going to be trying for myself. I, I will say like every day I 
don't do that. But it, it is actually like how we try and eat is in a colorful way. And plus, it's just more fun because uh, <laughs> it's like your plate's prettier. Uh, so it's not so boring. Um, and uh, other things that I like to always uh, mention is that we are on social media. So follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And then we do have the 2000 Ciders. So if you want to join to make sure that you are getting as much uh, information as possible on a monthly basis and going live with Dr. Bobby and myself, uh, check out the site to dashgals.com and you can join from there. All right, everybody. Well, stay tuned for what we have coming up next. <laughs>